0: All right. So this morning, uh, we're taking a little break from our study in Genesis. I felt that it was just on my heart to, to do something different, something more. It's kind of tangential, I think, in a way, because we're gonna, the title of today's message is "Take Heed," and uh, we're going to look at part of Matthew 24, 1 Thessalonians 4, and Revelation 1. So I'll tell you where to go again later. Matthew 24 to start. But you know, like we've been studying in Genesis, obviously. You know the end times before the flood, so to speak. Judgment came, and we saw Noah's life and uh, Noah building the ark and what God had commanded him to do. But we got into the flood actually happening last week, and God's judgment is coming. I felt that with everything going on and what the Lord has put on my heart lately in my own time, um, I couldn't uh, avoid doing this message this morning. But um, I really couldn't escape these areas of Scripture lately in my own time. Um, you know, there's this. Uh, idea of back to eating, gardening, you know, I can't vouch for that, but I think the point is going back to a natural way, maybe they go back too far naturally, I don't know, you know, Adam was supposed to till the ground, right, or take care of the land, um, but really when we read Genesis like we have been, do we really and honestly believe it, that this is where we came from, you know, I think our perspective changes greatly when we realize that, when we take that into account, that yeah, God really did create, God really, really did create Adam, really, he really did create us. Um, you know, I think it changes our perspective on who we are, really, um, who God is, what our relationship with Him is, because we realize that this is what God intended for us. He intended for us to have uh, a life that was better, a life that was with Him, and a life that was free of the burdens that we go through um, as far as sin. Um, but that's, you know, we're in this world that we are now, and I think sometimes we lose sight of all that because the world is so nasty, it causes our judgment. But God wants to bring us not back there, but to a better you—one that's not—that's incorruptible, one that's uh, uh, eternal. Um, but with that, you know, knowing where we're going and what's going to happen before then, I think is important. Just like it was important for Noah to know what to do, and it's important for him to be a witness to the world, knowing that judgment is coming. But he knew where he was going. He knew that he was going on the other side of the flood, but he didn't know what it was going to be like. But we need to remember that we have an ultimate end, and that ultimate end is completely different and the ultimate end of the world, the world that believes in evolution, the world that praises evil, the world that rejoices when they get what they want, no matter what it costs, their end is completely different than ours. And I think that the enemy, I think that the world and just sin, basically, is always about deceiving us and blinding us to the fact that our end is different. Because if we really believe that our beginning was different than what they tell us, and our end is different than what they believe, I think our lives would be drastically different might include it um, you know, that we would, we would value things differently. We would value different things. And I think we would be more about our Father's business, so to speak. But really, the question is, you know, where do you start with this? Where do we start with this? Where do we draw the line in our own life with all these things? You know, and how far are you willing to let the gospel go in your life? And I dare to say, you know, I could be wrong. I was on a lot of Benadryl this weekend. Uh, but that's how far it will take you in this life. If you allow the gospel to go one mile in your heart, I know God kind of works exponentially maybe it will take you two. But I think that there's a limit. If, if there's a limit to how far you allow God to get in your life, I think that's how far you're going to go in life. Um, sort of like the, the Israelites, when they got out of the wilderness, they decided to not cross the Jordan. They said, this is as far as we want to go, God. They didn't, they never got to the promised land, so to speak, of where God really had for them They were in a better place, they weren't in Egypt anymore, they weren't in the wilderness, but they hadn't fully entered into uh, the life that God had for them. Again, I'm not talking naming and claiming. I think uh, as we get through this message, we're going to see that our lives are going to get worse as history moves forward. But spiritually, I think we'll be better off um, if we allow the things of the scripture uh, to affect us more deeply. I think limiting the gospel's penetration into our hearts and lives will limit its effectiveness in our walk. And we can only lead people as far as we've gone, it's been said. We can only lead people as far as we've gone. You know, it's like if if you've gone somewhere on a trip but you've never been further and you don't have the GPS, say, well, I've only gone this far. I can say, maybe it's 100 miles that way, maybe make a left, but I can't give you all the details. it's important that we go further. We can only go as far, really, as we let Jesus go You know Jesus is patient. He's not going to rush you or me. He's not going to condemn you or me. You know, Ash and I were talking to Blake here about uh, when I got saved. And, you know, I was thinking, man, like, I feel like I'm behind. Like, If I've been saved for this amount of time, shouldn't I be further along in my walk, so to speak? You know, right or wrong, you know, that is what it is. But, man, um, I want to let the gospel go further in my life. I want to be more affected by it. Because... The longer I walk in it, you know, and it hasn't been that long, it really makes more sense. And it really comes to the point where, man, I, I really wish I was walking more of it in the past. So I wonder, you know, why this study? Why are we Why are we doing this today? And I think that part of it is that we need to let the Word wake us up even more than we're already awake. You know, I think also every morning when the Word wake us up, you know, whether it's Whatever time we have in the morning to make sure at least we get a little something, even if it's in the car on the way to work or whatever. Um, but I think also in our lives we need to be woken up even more than we're already awake. I think you know I think sometimes we think we're awake and this is as awake as we'll be, but we really need to keep waking up to spiritual things, keep letting God open our eyes to the spiritual realm uh, as we go on, because that's part of sanctification. You know we're not going to be made more holy until we look at things that are more holy or look at things in a more holy way. Um, you know, we're not going to be able to be changed unless we look at the thing, the one who's going to change. It's like the Israelites and theologians. They had to look at that brass serpent on the wall. Otherwise, there was a hope for them. They had to wake up and look up. But the world might say, are you woke? You know, that they're woke. Or that someone's up into a conspiracy theory or they're into like the latest, whatever it is that they're preaching is the truth. They say that they're woke. But I wonder, are we woke? Are we, or are we sleeping? Are we dead in our walk? You know, sometimes you're dreaming, you think you got up and got dressed and were on your way to work, and then, you know, you wake up and you go, oh, no, I haven't done any of that. And I don't want that to be us in our spiritual life. And I'm not saying it is, but I'm saying I think sometimes we need to take these things into account and and really take measure of where we are in life. I think that that's healthy. I want you to ask yourself, as I asked myself this morning and when I was studying this as well, how far do you want to go in life? How far do you want to go? You might ask a kid who we'll say, I want to be an astronaut or a firefighter or a billionaire. And they get a little older, you know, they start to think, well, maybe I can't go that far. So maybe I'll just be X, Y, Z. And, and not that there's anything wrong with not being a millionaire or not being an astronaut, you know. But I ask, how far do you want to go in life? Maybe that's as far as you ever go in your career. But spiritually, how far do you want to go? Do you want to go all the way to heaven? Or do you want the rapture to come and it's like, you get transported a million miles ahead in life. I want to be as far as I can be in this life because that's what this life is about. you know. And, and not for, in the sense of success or gain, but in the sense of, man, Jesus died for me. Jesus says that I should follow him. And there's not one point in my life where Jesus is saying, oh, take a break. We need to keep going. That this life uh, is not over yet. You know, I don't, I don't want to lag behind and I don't want to run ahead, uh, even though I do both. But how much do you want and do I want to know God? Is there a limit? And is there a line? And maybe, you know, honestly, we'd say to ourselves, no, there's not a limit. But I have to wonder if we look at that practically in our lives, maybe there's a limit. I'd love to be, look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, if you ask me, do you want to be buff? Yeah, I'd love to be buff. But there's a limit. There's a line in my life. When I open the fridge, and I see cake or an apple. A lot of time, that limit and line in my life is I go for the cake instead of the apple. I ate a piece of cookie instead of an apple this morning. I'm not gonna look like on Schwarzenegger doing that, you know? So there's a limit. As much as I think I want it, how much do I actually practically want it in my life? And I hope that I want the apple more. I ate a couple of apples every day, right I'm like, look, babe, I ate an apple. She's like that's great. <laughs> uh, but sincerely, you know. I think it's one thing for God to set limits in our lives. That like we did with Paul. Paul, you can't go over here yet. This is who you're going to minister. I know you want to minister to the Jews. We've got to minister to the Gentiles. It's one thing for God to set those limits, whether it's because he's got a different plan for us or whether maybe it's because we did something along the way that disqualifies us. I don't know, but usually his limits are good in our lives. You know, God never sets a limit that's bad for us. We need to learn to dwell within those limits. It's part of what the devotional was talking about, too, that, you know, You know, we want to be effective, but we're we are where we are, and God never. You know, we're more effective where we are than where we are. You know, we'll never be effective where we never are, if that makes sense. But I think it's a whole other thing completely when we set limits on God and us. It's okay for Him to set limits on us, but it's not okay for us to set limits on Him. Like I said before, you know, we're believers. If you're a believer, do you believe Genesis? Do you believe it? I'm not saying I've totally gotten that deep enough yet, but I'm it's a question I think that's important because I do believe it changes our lives. Because it's the Bible. It's God says, it's the Word of God, it's living, it's active. But do we believe Revelation? Do we believe the things in Revelation as much as we believe the things in Genesis? Do we believe the things in Daniel and the things in Ezekiel? much as we believe Genesis and Revelation and the Gospels or Acts or, you know, our favorites, the Epistles. Do we believe it when Jesus says in Revelation 22, 12 and 13, And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to give everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Do we believe that? He says, Behold, I am coming quickly. Do we believe that? You know, he's the beginning of everything. He's the end of everything, The first of all, last of all, before things began, he was there. After things end, He is there. Just like he made things begin, he's also making things end. He's also allowing the world to come to the end. It's not coming to the end of its own accord, he's allowing it to happen. I so think we need to ask ourselves again and consider, seriously consider, do we believe that these are the last days? You know, it's been said ad nauseum for probably the past hundred years or maybe the past 2,000 years. But do we really believe today could be it? And even this morning, as we were leaving the house, you know, I was thinking about this message and going, yeah, you know, I believe that's it, but do I really allow that to play out in my life all day? You know, when I get home later, am I still going to be as fired up as I am about this message as I am now? You know, again, I think these are these limits in our lives. And again, I'm not saying you go crazy. There's obviously a holy limit and a righteous limit. But again, do we let it affect our lives? Do we let it affect our day-to-day? And if we really believe today could be it, what would, we, what would we do? What would you do? What would I do? Would it be what we're currently doing in life? Or would it be something else? You know, you hear about these people who have these dreams about doing something. So they quit their job and they go become an artist. Or they go and, they, you know, they, they become a musician and then they live in their band and you know, ten years later they make it big, and they're on the big stage and they're living the dream, so to speak, because they were unwilling to live the life that they were currently living because they desired their dream so much. They were willing to sacrifice for it. Even though they didn't know what was gonna happen, they believed, you know, they were gonna follow their dreams. I'm not saying that's what we need to do, so to speak, in the physical world, you know. But in the spiritual world, you know, maybe we'll maybe all be as a Walmart free the best for our lives. Maybe God has something in that. Maybe you're a missionary. Maybe God has put something on your heart to do your entire life, and you just haven't come to grips with it, that God really wants this for you. God really has this for you. And if he does, it's okay to pursue it, no matter what the cost. You know, because like I said, we're going to start to value things differently. And we're going to start to value different things. Because if we realize, time is short. God has a plan for me. God's laying this on my heart. We're going to start to be about that. Maybe it's not going to happen right away. Maybe it's going to take a long time. But God's going to get it done if we would let him. If we would let him allow to redraw the lines in our life. Where we step, where we stand. Now, would you be doing something else? Would you be doing something else? Again, God can restore the years of the locus of Eden. But I believe that that's why God, in a sense, not to sound too like I believe God has me sharing this message. This is a message from the Lord. I hope it is. I pray it is. I pray that God would speak to you through uh, this pile of cookies and, and not muscle. But that's part of the reason why I couldn't share Genesis 7 this morning. As much as I wanted to go in it and continue on it, I felt that it would have been, you know, I had all these feelings and emotions and reasons not to do this. I couldn't avoid this. I said, you know what? Genesis 7 will still be there next week. I feel like this is what God would have me share for us this morning because I know it's something he's ministering to me. And I believe it's you know, it's been festering and moving around long enough that it's time to come out. But I'd rather be found sharing this message. You know, if he comes back this afternoon and I share Genesis seven, I might be a little ashamed. I might be a little wish man, I wish I took a little bit of a risk and stepped outside the box a little bit more today. I wish I shared something that was so strongly in my heart that, you know, again, I'm not saying these are like it's gonna be the best message of your life for the worst, but what I'm saying is For me, I couldn't go any further than this today as we go through in our study. But enough of me. Let's go to Matthew 24, and we'll pick it up in verse 4. And Lord, again, we ask that you would be the one to speak to us. You're the one who desires us most of all. You're the one who's got better plans than we have. And we lay down our lives for you, God, you, and seek your kingdom first. Uh, Not for our glory, but yours, God. You, uh, You love that. You bless us and give us everything that we ever wanted in that. And, uh, more. And, uh, we thank you for God. We love you, Lord. Thank you for this time together, and God, uh, we long to hear from you and see your face and just make us holy. Jesus. We'll read 4 through 14, and uh, Jesus is here, and he says uh, uh, to them, these other Mount of Olives, and they ask, when will these things be and won't be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And verse 4, Jesus says, and answered and said to them, take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And I believe I've read this recently in our studies. But in verse 6 he says, You want to hear of wars and rumors of wars? See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, earthquakes in various places. And these are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation, and kill you. Uh, this is not the message we wanted, Lord. Right? And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And many will be offended, and will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. You now, I think the disciples are still kind of wondering, "How's your kingdom going to come, Lord?" How's it going to be? Is it going to be this political revolution? Everything's great and we get thrones and where do we sit? And, you know, who gets the coolest robe? But he says, this is one of the signs of coming. Awful things are going to happen. People are going to kill you and hate you. This is not what we were expecting, Lord. This is a little different than we thought. This isn't what we signed up for when we left our nets. But he says, take heed that no one deceives you. Take heed that no one deceives you. I think we could spend all morning on that verse. Probably need to let it hang out in our lives, our whole lives, because there's two things here, I believe. I have to believe, one, we need to do something to not be deceived. Obviously, the Holy Spirit works in us, but there's an active role in our lives. And number two, it seems that everybody could or would desire to deceive you and me. He says, take heed that no one deceives you. That could mean that anyone wants to deceive you, even a believer, even your spouse. Sometimes, you know, you don't even realize you're trying to deceive the other person. You know, you know, coming out and getting a cookie and, you know, you're busted. Oh, <laughs> trying to deceive you that I wasn't having a cookie because I was opening it so quiet. I didn't want you to hear me getting a cookie, you know, sort of thing. But you were in the car, so I, you know, you never <laughs> <laughs> But take heed that no one deceives you. Politicians. I think, you know, that, that's, the politician is the deception because they're not politicians. It's like a deceptor, the deceiver, you know, taking candy from a baby. Or advertisers, You know, we have laws in advertising about false advertising. Why? Because advertisements are all about deceiving you. They're all about deceiving you within the maximum line of the truth. Your life will be greater. You'll be thin. You'll have a bunch of friends because you drink this beverage. You know? <laughs> Your life will be better because you have the phone that's one year newer than the phone you have now. You know, it's like Ashley's other phone broke. So I had to get her another phone. And she loves it. It's great. It's, it's only a year old. But she's like it's great, but I don't know, it's that much different than the other phone I had. I'm like, well, that's great. Then we were, you know, <laughs> but, uh, just kidding. But, uh, you know, the new version of it just came out, or just was announced, and it's like, is it really that exponentially different that you need to drop all this money on it? No, I don't think so, because they're deceiving you. It's like, it's part of business. Or cults, you know? Cults are heavily des- deceived. You know, you're deceived in the deepest things with a cult. It's like one thing, you know, you buy the wrong phone or whatever, and you're stuck in a contract for a couple of years, but Another thing, them may be stuck in a cult your whole life. worse I mean, works for eternity. But he also says false teachers. Whether that's false teachers in the church, false teachers of the cult, false teachers in the world. You know, I think you turn on the TV and people are getting false teaching from everything. You know, they, they don't think they're being taught, but they're being taught. But that's the enemy. All this is the enemy, work. enemy is the father of lies, and he's going to try and deceive us any way possible. Because... That's the only way that we're we're all going to miss heaven is if we're deceived and we think we've got heaven and salvation anywhere else than Jesus. Whether it's in a better life through a gadget, a better life through a cult, and a promise of a planet of your own or whatever it is, it's false teaching. A better life on earth? You know, the enemy does not want you to believe in the beginning or the end. And I don't think we like to talk about the enemy too much, and there's a a limit there that we should set. But there's this book called The Art of War by Shun Tzu, and uh, it's a Chinese guy. And part of it talks about he's got to like, know your enemy. Because if you don't know your enemy, how are you going to beat them? If you don't know their tactics, you know, like in sports, they watch the highlight reels and they watch games that on uh, the other team plays and they try and get their plays, because that's the most effective way to beat the enemy is to know what they do. You, know, you can go out there and be the best at anything, but it's kind of like guerrilla warfare. You know, We have a large army trying to go out and find guerrilla warfare, and they fight in two different ways. So that's why we've had to change tactics in our war on terror, because it's not like we're fighting the Soviets head on head, tanks on a battlefield. It's, it could be anyone. It could be anyone. But if the enemy doesn't want you to believe in the beginning or end, because if you do, you will believe in the beginning and the end. you believe in the Alpha and the Omega. And you'll begin living like it is the end. I think we do need to live like the end. Not recklessly, but purposefully. You know, a lot of people when they find out it's the end, they go, oh, I'm going to go buy a Ferrari and out my credit cards. But I think as believers, as mature believers, when we find out it's the end, we need to live with a deeper purpose and a stronger purpose because he's coming back. And I think our reaction is either going to show uh, if we're immature or mature, and not that we've attained, but really which direction we're going. Are we headed towards maturity or are we longing to go back towards immaturity? And it says childhood is vanity. As much fun as it was being a kid, you really think about it, do you really want to go back to being a kid? You know, I was thinking the other day, like, man, it would be great to be a kid. I, you know, I don't have to clean up the dinner table. I can just clean. I just go play. You know? Seriously. I don't know you, but when it comes to working on a deadline, I feel like I have more purpose. I can go. I am count the minutes. Oh, you know, i got to get there and this has got to get done and, I don't, and I'm not going to read my email right now I'm going to get this done and brush this off and organize and go, go, go because I've got a deadline. But when I don't have a deadline, isn't it a lot easier to procrastinate? Oh yeah. All right. No, I'll get it tomorrow. Oh, I'll do a little bit now. I'll take care of this now. But then, when that deadline looms, you know that's why it's always kind of nerve-wracking. when You don't know when the deadline is because it's like, are they coming back? Am I going to have enough time? And you know, you get all fidgety and oh, I don't, are they coming back or are they not coming back? You know, I think that's what Lord would have for us is that we would know that there's a deadline, and that's why he gives us the signs of his coming. Because in a sense, it's like, if we didn't have the signs, and he said I was coming back at any time, I think we'd panic. We wouldn't get anything done. We'd get things done, and it wouldn't be screwed together right. It wouldn't be put together right. But when we know there's a deadline, and we can look at the clock and say, I've got four more hours a day, and prioritize, I think that's what we can do. And that's why God gives us these signs. He says to take heed, and that word is to see discern with the bodily eye. We need to look around. We need to take heed and look around at what are things like in our lives. We need to perceive by the use of our eyes, you know, that... We can use our eyes to see things. You know? Yeah, we can be deceived and not you know, understand what's, what's happening. Optical illusions are things, but sincerely we need to look. But we also need to perceive by our senses. What does it feel like? What is the atmosphere like? What is? Is it hot? Is it cold? You know, they were playing hot and cold day or day, looking for something. But it's also discovered by use so and to know by experience that as we look, as we perceive, and as we go through it in the scriptures, we begin to know more and more. as the last days, you know, uh, went to a French church on Wednesday and we talked afterwards and we were both on the same page as far as it being the last days and being the end times and being birth pains and we're both like this is, we know this because if God's showing you and God's showing me and it's this urgent on both our hearts, God's trying to do something here. You know again it could be a hundred years, I don't believe it will be but you know what I'm saying? Like if God's making this apparent then it's important. But it also means to discern mentally, to observe, to perceive, to discover, to understand. We need to understand the days that we're living in. Because if we don't understand the days that we're living in, we're going to be deceived about them. If we don't understand the truth of what's going on, we'll be deceived. And what's scary is that when the truth does come out, well, like the government's spying on us for one thing, people go, oh, I understand and I don't really care. And it's like, you know, we can get into a political argument with that. But the point is that we were deceived for so long, and then when the truth comes out, we don't really care about the truth. And that's the scary, I think that's a litmus test for the age that we're in. When the truth does come out, people don't care. People don't care. They want to keep going, they want to keep living in the, the world that they're living, and they don't want to wake up Neo to the truth that, you know, you're plugged into the matrix, so to speak. Um, not that I think they were plugged into the matrix or anything, but you know what I mean. But it's also in a geographic sense of places, mountains, building to the center, that, you know, we need to see what time we're living in and where we're living in that time how does that time fall on the timeline? You know, uh, where on the timeline do we fall? And if we were to chart out all of history, I think we're right at the end. Uh, if the chart was only this big, we'd probably be right there, probably indistinguishable. You know, like when you draw the, the solar system, but if you draw it to scale, it's like, <laughs> you know, so you going to get down a little bit and everything fits nicely. But they have this doomsday clock where the world, uh, different people trying to figure out, you know, and the more things are going wrong in the world, the Close to set to midnight. You know, apparently we're pretty close to midnight now in their estimation. You know, we see North Korea. You see, you know, a uh, rocket man trying to launch another one this weekend. But sincerely, one that can reach California. You know, is it going to test it? They've got nuclear weapons. They're in So, with Iran. Um, sincerely, even Israel's a nation, 1948. It was 80 years ago. This prophecy was fulfilled in one day. We see Russia and Iran coming together to go against Israel. You know, they're in Syria now. That's one step away. Uh, We see Europe. We see uh, people flooding into Europe and Europe being taken over and changed to where it'll be more lined up for this end time scenario. We see America, once, you know, a somewhat godly nation, has abandoned all morals, has abandoned all good judgment, and uh, is one that corrupts the nations. We see even in our own nation people rebelling, wanting to tear down statues this weekend and create anarchy and havoc. And yet they're not called terrorists. You see Romans 1, about the things that the way it will be in the end times, about the people will be lovers themselves, they'll be cold, they'll be endorsing sin. But also in Romans 13, you know, just to touch on hating police. Romans 13 says that the people in authority were put there by God. Whether they do a good job or not, not the point. It's that their authority is given by God. And says, you don't have to be, there's no need to be afraid if you're not doing anything wrong. And I think why a lot of these people hate the police, because they're doing something wrong. You know, I, I know that, I know it's not such a black and white issue, it's a little bit deeper than that. But sincerely, we live in corrupt days and we need to realize that. That things aren't the way they used to be. You know, I read something in the news the other day, and I shared with my daughter, I was like, Mia, this world is a little different than, uh, you know, maybe I should have said it so frankly, but this world is a little different than it was when I was a boy would be surprised if we get arrested one day for talking about Jesus. Never would have said that 30 years ago. But uh, 2 Thessalonians 2, 1-2 says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you, uh, to not be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means. For that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, the antichrist, and is worshipped, so he sits at the God at the temple of God. But he says, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed, excuse me, in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And when the lost one is revealed, and the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy the brightness of his coming. You know, I'm not going to go on further, but he talks about the Holy Spirit's restraining. And the only reason why Antichrist doesn't show up is because God hasn't allowed him to do it. But as soon as God stops restraining and allows all hell to break loose, so to speak, that's what's going to happen. But don't worry, God's going to destroy that. But what's one of the first things that says here about not being deceived? He says, these things won't happen unless the great falling away comes first. You can't fall away if you're never there first. You know, but I think the biggest sign, perhaps, of the last days is the state of the church, is the state of Christianity. Post-Christian cultures, and this is a, a quick thing, I believe come from post-Christian churches, which, which happened from, I'm sorry, post-Christ churches, which happened from post-Christ Christians who died from sin over obedience, lust over love, but ultimately because they believed the lie over the truth. Any Christian who falls away from Jesus, like Paul says, oh, you foolish Galatians who has bewitched you, was deceived. There's no Christian who's not deceived who falls away. It's only deception that will lead you to fall away. I'm not saying we're always going to get everything right and you know maybe hold on to things too tight, but I think as far as deception, no way someone's going to go completely the errand is they were deceived. And how are we deceived? By sin. Brethren, while it's today warn each other that you might not be deceived by the deceitfulness of sin. When we begin to play in sin and dabble in sin and not call it what it is in our own lives, it begins to deceive us. Oh, this is okay for me to be doing. Oh, judgment has come. Oh, no one said anything to me at church. Oh, I'm okay. Eventually, you turn into this whole line of deception. And you begin to fall away. Think you're a Christian, but your life is, is far off base. And I think the same condition of the heart that was in the garden can happen in the heart of the believer. That what happens in the heart, if not repented of, if not taken care of, or killed really, you know, because we can fence it in for a little while, and it festers in there, and eventually it'll come out. But if we don't kill it, if we don't kill the sin at its source in us, it's going to come to life in us. There's no middle ground. It's either death or life. We either kill sin, or it kills us. It may just take a little time. It may not be evident at first, like an infection, but eventually it will. Luke 6:44 through 46 says, "For every tree is known by its fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks." He says, "But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say?" He's talking about good men, bad men. It comes out of the heart. That's the evidence. If there's evil constantly spooning out of someone they not a good person. And even then, below that he says, you say things are coming out of your mouth, Lord, Lord, that sound good, good, but you're not doing what God says. There's a deception there in ourselves. If we say one thing and we're doing another, and we think we're doing the right thing, but it's the wrong thing, we're absolutely deceived. And we need to be very careful with that. We need to be circumspect with that. That's why it's so important that we spend time with Jesus on our own. Like the devotion said to come. Because when we don't come, because we don't want to have that fixed. We like our deception. We like our sin. Matthew 15, 16 through 20 says, Jesus said, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? I believe we said that this recently too. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies, these are the things which defile man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile man. These things come out of our heart. Our heart is wicked and deceitful above all things. Just because we feel something is right or feel like it's the right way to go does not mean it's the right way to go. And that's for me as well. That's why, uh, you know, we need to be so careful about the decisions we make in life. And it's better to be slower about making the right decision than the, in some instances than to rush into it. And to really take time away with the Lord and make sure that it really is him. Especially when it's a big decision, because there really are no big decisions. It's always a bunch of little decisions that add up. But we can be deceived if we don't understand the truth. How many people have the Bible, but they don't understand it? They haven't been taught it. They haven't received the Holy Spirit to, to enlighten them, so to speak. Because I believe it's more than believing. Believing is where it starts. Believing is the essential ingredient here. Because if you don't believe it, you'll never understand it. But if you believe it, even if you don't understand it, I believe the understanding comes. Because understanding is important. You know, Eve believed, and I think she didn't understand what God meant. Because I think if she understood what God meant, and she believed what God said, she might not have eaten. And again, I'm making, you know, a real small statement here over a complex issue. So, you know, again, take a grain of salt. But Adam understood, and I think he still willfully disobeyed. Because he understood, but maybe he didn't care. I don't know. But Jesus, in Matthew 24, talks about wars and rumors of wars. Remember World War I, World War II? They'd never seen a war like before in World War One, 100 years ago. They never thought it could be better. They called it the Great War, because they never thought there would be a greater war. And then all of a sudden, they had to rename it World War I, because World War II came along. And it was even worse. There was a Korean War, there was a Vietnam War, but there was a Cold War. And I think the Cold War, in a sense, was the ultimate, before terrorism, well, global terrorism, was the ultimate rumor of war. Are they going to strike us? Are they communists? You know, it's like there's always this rumor going on that war is going to happen. But also, many claiming to be Christ or claiming to know that it's the last days. Oh, this weekend, the world's going to end. Well, you don't understand. You didn't read the whole Bible. The whole Bible, if you read it, you realize Jesus doesn't even know. Only the Father knows. So, get it together. But David Koresh, cult leaders, gurus, talk show hosts, and Jehovah's Witness thinking that Jesus was in a, a room in Brooklyn, you know, not so. Kingdom against kingdom, you know, the war and terror, disease, all these hurricanes, earthquakes everywhere, corruption everywhere, you know. All these things are happening, and they've always happened, but now they're happening with a different frequency. And and even if they're the same as they've always been, which I don't think necessarily is the case, people are being frightened by them like never before. People are so skittish now. Uh, Like the Bible talks about, men's hearts will fail them for fear. And that's a huge sign. But Jesus says here to endure to the end, if you endure to the end, you will be saved. That we have to endure. We can't sit idle on our faith. Our salvation is dependent on him, but we have to stay with him. You know, faith and works need to be in lockstep. I heard it said recently that so much of a steady stride that they become indistinguishable. I'm sorry, I don't know where that quote was from. Um, But, you know, it's like faith works. Faith works where you don't know what's what anymore. You're just walking. Let's go on. Let's turn to 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. It says, uh, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, those who have died, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you, uh, by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. A lot of times we're so afraid of the end time, we're so afraid of what it's going to be like when Jesus comes back, um, or after death, or what it's like to die, or any of these things that are hard in life, we don't pay attention to them. And so we miss out on a great comfort in life. You know, I heard it said recently about our nation, our generation. Our generation does not know how to mourn. When a tragedy happens, we don't mourn. We blame. We point fingers. If we just took a moment to mourn and be broken over things that happened, I believe we'd see the answer a little more clearly and not just point and do what we think is right. And that's really not the answer. It makes things worse. But we miss out on a great comfort because it says, Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Revelation, although tragic, should comfort us. Genesis and the flood, although tragic, should somehow comfort us knowing that God is with us no matter how much has to happen on earth. But it says, um, you know, there's this hip term today with the kids. I see in all the YouTube videos. It says, yo, that's ignorant. Yo, man, you're ignorant. Like, it's a cool thing to be ignorant. Like, defiantly cool. Like, what we're doing is so dumb, it's ignorant. Like, it's hard to explain. But it's like a new word for being cool. But, you know, uh, to be ignorant means to not know. Not to understand or unknown, to error or sin through a mistake or to be wrong. You know, we can be wrong about things even when we know them. You know, a lot of times you have the facts, but you come to the wrong conclusion, right? You know, whatever it is. But do we even know the things we should and know the things we need to know as believers? Um, or do we willfully stay ignorant to it? Oh, it's scary. Oh, it seems too complicated. Oh, I didn't understand the last time I read it, so I'm not going to pay attention to it now. But we need to know these things, guys, because if we're ignorant to it, that's like automatic deception. That's like the, not much the enemy has to do to trick you now. It just throws anything else in there at you. Say, like, oh, the world's not going to end. Jesus isn't coming back. Oh, yeah, I haven't read about it. I don't know about it. I think we don't like to think about hard things, scary things, like fire safety. We say, oh, it'll never happen to me. We don't believe it'll happen. Or it's too scary to think about it happening because we're too afraid to even think about it or think, look into it. But seriously, we have to think about it now because when the fire does come, we're not going to have time to think about it then. You won't have time for Amazon Prime to deliver the escape ladder when the fire is raging You won't have time to know what to do when the handle's hot if you haven't paid attention to it before. You know, these are things that we need to pay attention to now. So when it does happen, we're ready to go. You know, uh, another quote that I, of course, I don't know who it was, but they're talking about military training things. They say, how you train is how you fight. You know, if you're not training, when the battle comes, you're not gonna be ready. Especially because there's high stress, there's all these other things going on. You know, things that I don't really know about, uh, experientially, but I know uh, knowledge-wise, you know, uh, that sincerely, you know, if special forces train all the time because then when they go to do it, it's, it's over in 40 seconds, but they just trained for four months. You know, they're so ready for it. And I think we need to be the same way. Because we won't be ready on that day if we're not ready now. Like the, like the virgins before the wedding feast, they didn't have the oil. They figured, oh, we'll be all right. You know, we'll just borrow from my friends when, they, when he shows up. And they're like, we don't have enough to give you. You have to go to the store. They went to the store in the middle of the night, and by the time they got back from 24-hour Walmart or whatever, they couldn't get in. It was too late. You know, Mia was asking about when Jesus comes back, and I said, you're not going to miss him. No one's going to be able to say that Jesus is back, and you go, what, really? I didn't hear. Yeah, I've been online all day. No, you're going to see it. It's going to rip through the sky. But I wonder, you know, with the trumpet sounding and the rapture's going to happen, are we even listening for the sound of it? Are we even expecting the sound to happen? And if we're not... Could we possibly miss it? I'm not saying you will, but I'm just trying to flesh this out a little bit. You know, like on the train yesterday, they were like, all aboard. So anyone else who was who was late to coming knew that it was time to get on the train. Are we going to hear that? Are we listening for that? Or are we dilly dallying? You know, I remember in college, before we get to our last part of scripture, I remember going to the city and taking the power train. I remember coming back in like the middle of the night, and it was like, one, you know, the train runs every so often. And uh, I fell asleep on the power train. And when I woke up, I was at Secaucus Junction. And there was no one on the train. And I didn't know where I was. And I got out. And I was like, oh, no. where's?" It? I had to like, go find the right train. And thankfully, the right train was there. And eventually, I got back to the hobo and got in my car. But it's like, I was on the right train. I knew I stopped to get off of. But what I do? I fell asleep. And thankfully, there was no train out there. I'd still be in Secaucus Junction. And thankfully, I'm not, because Secaucus smells. <laughs> let's, uh, let's go to Revelation. And we'll, we'll close out here as quickly as I can. And hopefully, I'm not deceiving myself saying that for you. <laughs> uh, revelation one, we're going to read one through three, and then we'll talk. And I'm going to read seven and eight. Revelation one says, "The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place, and he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ to all the things that he saw." Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. You know, Revelation was given to John the Apostle in the Isle of Patmos, as we know. He was in his 90s at the end of his life. Um, He took care of Mary. You know, for homework, I encourage you to read 1 John 2. And I want you to think about who who it's really talking to, perhaps. I looked at all these commentaries, and no one said what I was thinking. And then I found Chuck Missler, and he said the same thing as I was thinking and the same thing as the commentary said. So it's interesting. Um, again, just you know, take things in context and realize these people are... Sometimes we, we have knowledge, but we miss out on what things are saying. But if God gave Revelation for Jesus, if the Father gave it to Jesus to show his servants, and we're not looking at what Revelation says, are we, indeed, his servants? Servant looks for orders from his master, looks for what his master is going to tell him. But he says here... These are things which must shortly take place. They must take place. It is necessary, this word talks about. There is need of. It behooves us. It is right and proper. It's a necessity in reference to what is required to attain some end. We want to attain the end God wants for us. We need. It's necessary that we know revelation. Um, it's a duty of a command of a law of equity. It's concerning with Christ was destined to finally undergo. Think about his suffering, it's his death and the garden. This was it was necessary that he went to the cross for us. It's necessary that he died for us and ascended again. You know, 2 Peter 3.9 says, and we know this when the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but all that should come to repentance. You know, what's his promise that he's not slack? He's not being lazy about it, he's not procrastinating on it, that. and that's his coming. That's his coming. Jesus says in John 142 uh, through 4, he says, In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Jesus is like, look, I'm not going to make this up. I'm telling you the truth. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. where I go, you know. And the way, you know. But Jesus went away to prepare a place for us. And yet it says he doesn't know the day or the hour, that only the Father does. And so I'm sure in a way he's working feverishly, you know, not feverishly in the flesh sort of idea, but he's working to get it done, And done well for us. Just like Noah was working feverishly for those 120 years. And I believe, in a sense, Jesus is waiting and watching. He's listening intently for the Father, for the command to go get his bride. And imagine that for a second. Jesus working in heaven, preparing a place for us. Preparing the new heavens and new earth. he's listening the whole time. Can I go yet, Dad? Can I go yet? Can I go get my bride? Is it time yet? Let's go. I'm excited for that. When will it be? I think we should be doing the same. We're always supposed to be like little Jesus, right? Little Christians. We're going to be doing like our Heavenly Father is doing. He's listening to His Father, being busy about His Father's business and prepare a place for us. And we need to be busy in these last days listening to our Father, preparing a place for His dwelling in our lives and our hearts. We're His bride. If my wife wasn't ready for the wedding day, if she wasn't excited, if she showed up at wedding time and her dress wasn't ready and she wasn't dressed, you know, other barring weird circumstances, I kind of wonder, would she want to marry me, you know, or the vice versa, you know, if I showed up late and my shirt wasn't tucked in or whatever it was, you know, unless, I was, unless she was really desperate, she probably would have said, you know what, I don't know about this, <laughs> you know, I think the same way, it's like, that's going to show our love for God if we're, if we're listening and intently ready for him, because, you know, like when you go away on a trip, I can't wait to get home with my kids, you know, um, I remember last time I was on a trip when I was in Montana Ashley sent me a picture of the day I was getting ready to come home of her putting a soda in the fridge. And she's like I'm so glad I can put a soda in the fridge because it means you're coming home. I was like, oh, yeah, I need soda. But uh, I was like, like it was a silly little thing but it blessed me because I knew that she was excited for me to come home. But we need to keep the things because the time is near. I believe it's near in place and position and it's those who have near access to God. Um, this is Times the word, but also imminent, and soon come to pass, guys, it's imminent, the word can also mean about to happen, overhanging, like, it's going to happen, you know, kind of like, you ever have, like, you have to do something, like, I had to, like, blow the leaves where I could mow half the lawn the other day, and time was running short, and it was, like, hanging over me, I'm like, I need to go get this done, and, like, the sun set, I'm still, like, flying around the yard on the lawnmower, you know, like, uh, I wasn't even sure if I was getting the right lines, so, (laughs) turned out it looked all right, (laughs) I don't know. Uh, so I made it, but uh, but sincerely, it's overhanging us. He's right over us, right above us, so to speak. The angels are ready to blow the trumpet. they are all got their trumpets ready to go. And I believe they can't wait to get the order, and he can't wait to get the order to come back. You know, uh, there's this meme that I enjoy, that's somebody like looking through the blinds and says, uh, two seconds after you place your order on Amazon. You know, like, <laughs> is UPS here yet? And I think we need to be that way. And as, I think we need to be that way. We need to be expectant and ready more so than we are for whatever we got on Amazon. Let's read verses 7 and 8 and we'll close. It says, Behold, he's coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him, even so, amen. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. Like verse 7, this is quite a verse. Um, That there's no missing him when he comes. Like I said before, no one's going to need to tell us that he's here. We're going to know that he's here. But again, no one can tell you the day or time either. Hey Mia, wait down here, honey. I got to wait for mommy, I think, right? But he said when he's coming back the way he left, like in Acts 1, the ascension. Even they who pierced him, it says, they're going to mourn. Mia, can you sit down, sweetie? You know, the earth is going to mourn for him says that they're going to beat their breasts for grief. And not because they're repentant, but because it's too late. Because his return spells their doom. What they didn't believe in, who they didn't believe in, is real. And everything they believed was a lie. And they're going to be fully aware of that. And there's going to be great weeping and gnashing of teeth. And they will wish they, they could have repented for all eternity. They're unable to anymore. It's too late. Time is up. And they're really going to be mourners of their own death because they didn't mourn His during their life. And I think that's why Jesus wants us to remember communion. Because it helps us keep it all in perspective. I, you know, if I had the right elements at home, I would have brought it today. But We need to remember communion. I encourage you to take communion at home, you know, on your own time. You know, whenever. Whenever you feel that. Even if you don't feel that. But it says here, and of verse 7, even so, amen. And even though this is extremely awful to think about, even though this is a hard thing to consider, amen. We need to let it be. Let it happen as God commanded it. Because there's still time for people to repent. There's still time for us to reach people to the lost. There's still time for us to, to get rid of the deception in lies lives. God is the beginning and the end, the Almighty. We can trust in that. That even though this is going to happen, he's still after it, and he was still before it. I believe that he can still do it in us, and for us, and through us, but we have to let him. I saw a verse my wife uh, highlighted this morning as we closed. 1 Peter 4, 7 says, But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in prayers. And how often are we not serious in our prayers, myself included? Do we just say something because we feel like it's the right thing to say, or because this is what we always say, or do we not seriously think that God's going to hear us or answer it, or that we're not praying, considering, and watchful of the things that are going on at his return, and letting that dictate how we might pray. As Jesus says again, reading what we read before, Revelation 22, 12, and 13 says, Behold, I'm coming quickly, and my reward is with me. To give to everyone according to his work. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Lord, as we we pray here, as we finish our study, God, let us be watchful. Let us not be ignorant. Let us not be deceived. God, whatever deception is in our life, God, would you break it? Would you bring our sin? You know, it's based on sin. Would you bring that sin to life that we might confess it? Show us where we're wrong or where we're unwilling to come to you, God. Change us, God. Forgive us. Let us live in the light of your coming and not being irresponsible with it, but to be responsible. So, God, help us love you and live for you. And let, uh, God, your life be carried out let your will be carried out. Um, and those around us, may you reach people in these last days. May more people get saved that they wouldn't be deceived. They break the deception of these days. That's going to happen by your word. So let your word go forth. Uh sharpening the two-edged sword. So God, fight that battle for us in your word. And we might uh, march through in victory and see others uh, join uh, your team, your side, so to speak, but to really be saved from weeping and hatred and turn. We love you, God. Thank you, God. Come soon. Let us be expected and, and jump every time we hear a loud warning. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Thanks for putting up with me.